All right, this morning I'm going to ask you to make your way in your Bibles to the New Testament book of John. The New Testament book of John. John chapter number 14. John chapter number 14. These are some of the most precious verses in the Bible, and uh, they are a source of strength for the child of God. And they serve us well this morning in launching off into a topic that we're going to spend a few weeks looking at. I want you to notice John chapter number 14. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. The title of the message this morning is, Heaven is a Real Place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We ask your blessing upon the worship services. Lord, help us to remember that first and foremost we are here to worship honor and glorify you, Lord, to exalt our Savior. And Lord, in the midst of that, we do desire to evangelize the sinner and as well edify the saint. And Lord, I pray that today, in our study of your word, all three of those purposes of your church would be met. Lord, we understand that for that to be the case, we must be given your uh, power in your presence and we ask that you'd meet with us here today and lord as we begin to study this very serious and yet blessed topic of heaven lord help us to have our eyes fixed on you that you would give us faith to receive what your word says and then lord the power and the strength to live it out in our lives lord that we might be the people that you desire us to be we pray that you'd speak to hearts today as only you can It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Heaven is a real place. 2022 will be a good year if we as Christians think on our eternal dwelling place. Now over the next few weeks I will be preaching, Lord willing, a short series on the topic of heaven. Former Supreme Court of the United States Associate Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes famously said, some people are so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. Now it is true that we as Christians should not be so singularly focused on where we're going to spend eternity that we neglect our duties here on this earth. But it is also probably true that we don't, as the Lord's people, think enough on these precious truths about where we are going to spend eternity, this place called heaven. Now in our text, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he is very clearly encouraging and comforting them. In verse number 1, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Well, of course, those, uh, that's an that's a, uh, indication by the Lord Jesus that what he's about to say 
is going to serve as encouragement and comfort to them. Well, how does he encourage and comfort his disciples? He does so by showing them that heaven is a real place. He says, I'm going to prepare what for you? A place. A place. And he lets them know that in this place, this is his father's dwelling place, and in that place there are mansions that are reserved for God's people. Folks, Jesus is saying heaven is a real place. Now, we ought to be clinging to the truth and the reality that heaven is a real place. And I believe that if we are clinging to that reality and truth that heaven is a real place, it will serve to make our lives here on this earth more meaningful but also more enjoyable. This truth that heaven is a real place gives us hope and help for enduring the most difficult times here on this earth in this life. Now in 2022, the eyes of the Lord are upon us. He wants us as His people to live meaningful and enjoyable lives. So we need to feast on the reality that heaven is a real place. To help us do this, we want to start this short series on heaven by unlocking the truths that reveal that heaven is a real place. Now what do you need to unlock something? You need a key. So there are three keys. Three keys to help us grasp this truth that heaven is a real place. The first key, we must understand the particular and peculiar uses of the word heaven in Scripture. The second key, we must see from Scripture that there is a present place called heaven. And then the third key is we must also see from Scripture the permanent place of heaven. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Heaven is a real place. Now notice the first of these three keys to help us unlock the truths and grasp the reality that heaven is a real place. We must certainly understand the peculiar and particular uses of the word heaven in the Bible. Now I want to let you know this morning, and look, we're, we're a small group, right? So we, 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 have, we have a lot of room in here. There may be a point in which you need to stand up and maybe do some jumping jacks or calisthenics to kind of keep you focused on what we're talking about this morning. Because I am going to tell you that if, you're, if your mind is not engaged, you're going to zone out rather quickly. Now, I'm going to try to keep your attention uh, as best I can, but my point is this. This is a complex study. This is not a simplistic study where we can read a verse of Scripture and then all sing kumbaya and go on our ways. This is a complex study. And as students of the Word of God, and, and as saints of God who really desire to grasp and understand that heaven is a real place, you and I need to engage in this study this morning. The first key to unlocking the truths about 
understanding that heaven is a real place is we have to understand the peculiar and particular uses of the word heaven in the Bible. Now I want you to note, first of all, again, building on what we just said, that the concept of heaven, the concept of heaven cannot be approached simplistically. It's not a simplistic study. Do you know that in Scripture, a form of the word heaven, and when I say a form of the word, I mean the actual word heaven or the plural usage of the word heaven. Do you know that a form of the word heaven appears over 700 times in Scripture? 700 times in Scripture. But I also want you to know, and by the way, don't, don't get worried, we're not going to look at all 700 occurrences, 700 plus occurrences this morning. Maybe since Brother Steve wanted to stay till 6 tonight, we could do that in our afternoon study. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, we're not going to look at all 700 uses of the word or occurrences of the word heaven or a form of the word heaven. But you should know that not all of the uses of the word heaven indicate what we're talking about this morning. Not all of those instances are used to mean the same thing. And so we have to, first of all, see that the concept of heaven cannot be approached simplistically. But secondly, we must note that the word heaven is, descri- is used to describe more than one realm. The word heaven is used to describe more than one realm. Now, what, what, is, what is a realm. What do I mean when I say more than one realm? Well, the the dictionary definition of the word realm is this. The region, sphere, or domain within which anything occurs, prevails, or dominates. So it's not some term that we just toss out there. It's a specific, uh, this term is used specifically. There are three realms of heaven, in fact, taught in Scripture. And of course, we understand from many different passages of Scripture that the word heaven is used to describe more than one realm, right? I told you that the word heaven appears over 700 times in Scripture, or a form of the word heaven appears over 700 times. The plural form of heaven, which is heavens, appears over 130 times in Scripture. Over 130 times the word heavens is used. Now, look, you and I understand that when there's an S at the end of the word heavens, that means that there's more than one heaven. And so, if we're going to study this morning the fact that heaven is a real place, we need to understand how this lines up with what we're trying to get across this morning as it relates to John chapter number 14. Just to give you one verse that shows that there is more than one heaven, heaven, listen to this in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 14. In Hebrews chapter number 4 and verse number 14, the Bible reads, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, heavens, plural, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Now, Did Jesus ascend into heaven? We said on Wednesday night when we were studying the book of Ephesians, and you go back to Acts chapter number 1, 
the disciples and the really the church of the Lord Jesus Christ when he met with them in Galilee they actually saw him physically ascend into heaven and so he went into heaven but but I want you to note that the Bible says that he passed into the heavens now what on earth does that mean and and I might ask you this morning are you thoroughly confused even at this point barely getting into our study well it's okay hold on hold on we're gonna we're gonna show you what the Bible teaches now I said previously and I make this point again that the scripture actually teaches three make sure I got three up there three realms of heaven the scripture actually teaches three realms of heaven and when I say the three realms of heaven what I mean to say is that in scripture there are actually three heavens there are three heavens now think about this the first heaven is this heaven the earth's atmosphere now you say wait a minute are you are you making a play on words you you, you said heaven and i understand heaven is to be the place that we go when we die if we belong to the lord well there are different peculiar and particular uses of the word heaven in scripture the first usage involves the earth's atmosphere we refer to this as the atmospheric heavens. And this term for heaven is literally the air that we breathe and the space that immediately surrounds the earth. Do you understand biblically that that term used to describe the air that we breathe and the space that immediately surrounds the earth, that term in Scripture is called heaven. That's called heaven. Now, that's not the heaven that we want to focus our series on, but we want to understand as Bible students what the term heaven means. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to really get into some, some nerdy stuff here, okay? So, so bear with me, okay? Bear with me. There are scientific terms for the air and the space that immediately surrounds the earth. There are two terms that we want to use. The first term is troposphere. Troposphere. The troposphere is, de- is defined as the lowest region of the atmosphere that extends from the Earth's surface to a height anywhere between 3.7 and 6.2 miles. That's the first heaven. That's the atmosphere. The part of the atmosphere that extends from 3.7 to 6.2 miles is scientifically called the troposphere. There's another scientific term that relates to the first heaven, the Earth's atmosphere, and that is the stratosphere. There's the, the, the uh, troposphere, then the stratosphere. The stratosphere is the second layer of atmosphere as you go upward, and this layer extends between 7 and 30 miles above the troposphere. And so, again, I don't, I don't want to lose you this morning, but... I think it's important for us to understand a few of these terms that when we read in the Bible the word heaven and that word appears over 700 times in Scripture, it is not always talking about the place where God dwells. It is not always talking about the place where Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you in my Father's house are many mansions. The Bible's not always talking about that. Now, if we understand that the Bible is not always talking about that heaven but it 
certainly could be talking about the Earth's atmosphere. Will that not help us preclude coming to some misunderstandings about heaven? Okay. So, so when we talk about the first heaven, the Earth's atmosphere, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word that is translated heaven is shomayam. Shomayam. It's S H A M A Y I M. It is used to, it, it's translated in our English Bibles in the Hebrew, heaven. When that word appears, it's translated heaven. Listen to this verse, and I say listen to these verses, you can turn over with me if you like. But in Genesis chapter number 1 and verse number 8, chronicling creation, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 8, the Bible reads, And God called the firmament heaven. What's the firmament? It literally means the expanse or the sky. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. Do you know what what Hebrew word is translated heaven in our Bible? Shamayam. Shamayam. But now let me show you this. In Genesis chapter number 1, that same chapter, if you go down to verse number 26, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26, read this or listen to this. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air. Anybody want to guess? Hint, hint. What Hebrew word is translated air? Shamayam. So literally, heaven is the same as air in this usage of the word heaven. The first heaven revealed in Scripture is the earth's atmosphere. It consists of the air that we breathe and the space that immediately surrounds the earth. Now, what about the New Testament? The word that is most frequently, in fact, look it up yourself, translated heaven in our English Bible is the Greek word oranos. O-U-R-A-N-O-S O-U-R-A-N-O-S It is translated heaven. And in James, and by the way, just, just to save us a little bit of time, we're not going to look at these verses this morning, but I'm going to give you these verses and you can reference them. It is translated heaven in James chapter 5 and verse number 18. It's translated heaven. But you know what? That Greek word oranos is also translated air in Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 22 and again it talks about the birds of the air and so both in the Old Testament and the New Testament we have this usage of the word heaven it refers to the first heaven the earth's atmosphere the air that we breathe and the space that immediately surrounds the earth but did you know that there's a second heaven that is used in scripture the second heaven is referred to as the celestial heaven. The celestial heaven. You know what else it's referred to as? Don't laugh this morning. But it's referred to as outer space. Outer space. Okay? It is the celestial heaven or outer space. Now, this usage for the word heaven consists of the sun, the moon, and the stars. So if the first heaven goes up between uh, up to 30 miles from the earth's surface and consists of the troposphere and the stratosphere 
the second heaven extends up even further. The second heaven goes up really more than we can even determine. Because with the second heaven, and again, I, I know I'm, I'm throwing a lot of detail in here, and I don't expect you to remember this, but just so you can understand a little bit. So if the first heaven consists of the troposphere and the stratosphere, the second heaven, which consists of the sun, moon, and stars in outer space, it consists of the mesosphere, which is 30 to 50 miles above the sur Earth's surface, the thermosphere, which is 51 to 621 miles above the Earth's surface. By the way, can you imagine going 621 miles off of the Earth's surface? And then there's a third term called the exosphere, and we don't know how far the exosphere reaches, right? Because we're talking about space. And so the second heaven is literally the celestial heaven, outer space that consists of the sun, moon, and stars. Did you ever, when you were a kid, or maybe even when you were older, you were in a place where you know you could sit down and just look at the stars and look at, look at the dark night, and you just would wonder, man, I wonder how far that goes up. I remember as a kid being, you know, being out there, uh, you know, going with my dad down to Virginia hunting. And I remember one particular evening we we're staying in a camper out there back in the, you know, nowhere. You know, I remember, stay, you know, getting out there and looking up at the stars. And I don't know, I was probably 13 years old, looking up at the stars and such a beautiful place and just stars just filling the sky and just looking at that in wonder and amazement and going, man, I wonder how far that goes. That's the second heaven. That is the celestial heaven. Now, watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And I want you to notice how that the Bible reveals this celestial heaven known as outer space and how that it is really the second heaven revealed in Scripture and another usage of the word heaven. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, notice verse number 40. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 40. There are also celestial bodies. Do you know what the word celestial literally means in the Greek? Above the sky. Now remember, the sky is the first heaven. That's the earth's atmosphere. It's the air that we breathe in the space immediately above the earth. But notice here, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he says that there are celestial bodies. Paul was a better scientist than a lot of scientists falsely so-called today. Paul understood the reality that there was a heaven. There were bodies that were above the sky, the celestial bodies, the sun, moon, and stars. So he writes here in verse 40, there are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. Man, these are some, some science fiction type terms we're looking at this morning. Outer space and terrestrial and celestial. Well, I didn't say extraterrestrial. I said terrestrial. You know what terrestrial literally means? Of the earth. So Paul is saying that there's 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 bodies, planets, sun, moon, and stars above the earth, above the skies, and there are those that are of the earth. He says there are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Now watch verse 41. 
There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for one star differeth from another star in glory. What's he talking about? He's talking about the second heaven. He's talking about that place we would refer to as outer space that consists of the sun, moon, and stars. So there's two heavens we've looked at so far. This helps us because when we want to study the subject of heaven, we have to understand that every time the word heaven is used in Scripture, it's not talking about the dwelling place of God. It's not talking about where you and I are going to spend an eternity with the Lord. Well, there is that place though, isn't there? Heaven is a real place. There's the third heaven. You know what the third heaven is? It's God's home. It's God's dwelling place. This is a specific geographical place of God's residence and dwelling. And do you know that in Scripture, and we're going to see this in a few moments, it is actually called the third heaven. Now, I want you to think about this. That the third heaven is God's dwelling place or home. Do you know Solomon when he built the temple and they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the temple and the Shekinah glory of God filled the temple. And Solomon is praying this epic prayer to God Almighty, the Father. And he prays this in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse number 30. In 1 Kings chapter number 8 and verse number 30, Solomon prays, And hearken thou to the supplication of thy servant and of thy people Israel when they shall pray towards this place and hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place. And when thou hearest, forgive. That phrase, in heaven thy dwelling place, is mentioned by Solomon in verse 30, in verse 39, in verse 43 and in verse 49, that same phrase, in heaven thy dwelling place. Folks, there is a first heaven, which is the atmosphere. There's a second heaven, which is outer space where the sun, moon, and stars reside. There is a third heaven. It is the specific dwelling place of our Father, God Almighty. Now, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. Chapter number 12. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. And I want you to notice beginning in verse number 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 1. I don't know if I'm just a dork or a geek. Certainly I am. But man, these things are exciting. This is interesting stuff. People say the Bible is boring. I mean, you got the troposphere, the stratosphere, the mesosphere, the exosphere. All of this in the Holy Scriptures. And God certainly, who wrote the Bible, is infinite in wisdom and knowledge. And He's letting us in see a little bit into that insight. Now watch 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 1. It is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth such an one caught up to the third heaven. Who's Paul writing about? 
He's writing about Paul. He's writing about himself. And Paul is saying that, man, I experienced this, and I'm not going to glory and write a book about how I went to heaven for you know 15 seconds or whatever the case may be. I'm going to give all the glory to God. I just want to let you know that, man, I whether in vision or body, I've been to the third heaven. And Paul is saying that there is a third heaven. He was caught up to the third heaven. And notice verse 3, And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth how that he was caught up into paradise. Now that's important. Hang on to that thought. Put it in your pocket, because we're going to bring it out here in just a little bit. He says how he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. He's talking about the glory that he experienced during this visitation to the third heaven. Paul is emphatically pointing out that he knew that there is a place referred to as the third heaven. This is the specific geographical place of God's residence referred to in Scripture as the third heaven. And I want you to know, and of course I've already pointed it out, the third heaven is the same as what? Paradise. It's called paradise. We're going we're gonna to come back to that later. Now, it is this usage of the word heaven that we want to concern ourselves with for the rest of the message and also in coming messages. Because today we're talking about the fact that heaven is a real place. But you should, if you're thinking this morning and at least somewhat interested in the topic, then you should automatically say, okay, well, heaven is a real place. Well, what's in heaven? Who's in heaven? What do the people do that are in heaven? What, what is the occupation of their time? There should be some questions that come up. And so we want, to, we want to concern ourselves with this third heaven over the next few weeks and the rest of our time today. It is God's home. Now, the first key to unlocking the truth and the reality that heaven is a real place is you have to understand the particular usages of the word heaven. That there's a first heaven, there's a second heaven, and yes, there is a third heaven, and this is God's dwelling place. Heaven is a real place. Notice the second key to unlocking the truth that heaven is a real place. We have to know, see, if you will, choose whatever words you want, understand the present place of heaven. The present place of heaven. You have loved ones, do you not, that have passed from this earth? Loved ones that had a sincere, seemingly sincere, by the lives that they lived and by their testimony, a sincere faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you not, based upon what the Bible teaches, believe that this very moment they are where? They're in heaven. Now take a step back and think about that. I believe with all my heart that my mom and dad are in heaven. I've got some brothers and a sister that I I don't know if they're in heaven. But I believe with all my heart that my mom and dad are in heaven. What does that mean? What is it to say 
that while we here on this earth are alive and the earth continues on and society continues on, that those loved ones that we, we miss so much are right now in heaven. What does that mean? Are they in the place where we're going to eventually be when this earth is refurbished and purged? What do we mean when we talk about heaven being a real place? Well, there is a present place of heaven. Now hold on to your seats. Because the present place of heaven is different from the permanent place of heaven. It is. Now, before you think I'm a heretic, okay, let me show you some scriptures, right? We're going to get into that. Now, I will say this, that we must be somewhat nebulous in using the term place. Because all we can go by, right, is what the scriptures say. I mean, I, you, you can hear my opinion on things, but my opinion is as good as the guy that's panhandling down at the entryway to Sam's. You could listen to me and get my opinion. You could go down and talk to him and get his opinion, and one's just as good as the other. So we have to go to the Scriptures. What do the Scriptures say? And I will say that the Scriptures are somewhat mysterious when it comes to the word place. Heaven is a real place, for sure. But what is the present place of heaven? Where are these saints of God that have died in the faith and have gone on to be with the Lord and we believe with all of our hearts that they are in heaven? Well, the term place can be somewhat hard to understand. John Milton, who wrote Paradise Lost, said the mind is its own place and in itself can make a heaven of hell a hell of heaven. Now, I don't agree spiritually uh, with what he's saying literally. I certainly do believe in application. That's, that's true in our own lives. We can make something in our mind. But this term heaven... It's a real place. Heaven is a real place. There's a present place of heaven. And Scripture is often mysterious on the details of this present place. Now, without being trite this morning, I can tell you one thing is sure. That the truth of the present place of heaven is contrary to the popular hit song back in the 1980s and 1987. And some of you that are, that are as old as I am or my age, you will remember this place or this song Heaven is a place on earth. You remember the Go-Go's in Belinda Carlisle? Famous song, real famous song, popular song, 1987. Heaven is a place on earth. Well, guess what? This heaven is not a place on earth. Now, not yet, anyways. Not yet, anyways, okay? I'll tell you what I mean by that a little bit later on. See, you now have to pay attention because you have to get the answer to that, okay? And there will be a reward no, I'm kidding. There's no, there's no, there's no reward. <laughs> the present place of heaven. Let's start by thinking about the present place of heaven in this way. When a Christian dies, he or she is immediately in the presence of the Lord. Do you believe that? The Bible teaches it. When, when a Christian dies, he or she is immediately in the presence of the Lord. 
in the presence of the Lord. Now, if you're in 2 Corinthians and you stayed in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, go a little bit uh, forward in the book to 2 Corinthians, or back in the book to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. When a Christian dies, he or she is immediately in the presence of the Lord. Look at, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 1. And we are going to read down through verse number 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved... Now stop there. What's he talking about? Our body. The, the earthly house of this tabernacle is literally our physical body. He says, Paul writing says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He is saying that we have a body here on this earth and we're going to have one in heaven. Now watch. Verse 2. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house or our body, which is from heaven. If so, the, that being clothed, we should not be found naked, for that we are in this tabernacle or body, do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. What he's saying literally is that while we're here in this body, here on this earth, we groan. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a life of sin. It's a life of frustration. I ran into Brother Steve, Darlene and I, and, and uh, Olivia ran into Brother Steve at the commissary yesterday. And, uh, and I said to Brother Steve, I burdened him with my burdens of the day. So I got up yesterday and I had two things I wanted to accomplish. I wanted to get gas at Sam's for Darlene's vehicle and I wanted to go to the base and get a haircut. So we go to Sam's to get gas and literally the line to get gas is like almost out to where you turn into Sam's from Highway 50. You know, I sat there for a few minutes. I said, I'm not going to waste my day off doing this. So now I'm frustrated and I'm doing the Melvin thing and I'm, I'm angry and mad. Okay, so I'm sorry, forgive me, but I'm human, right? So then I go, we go to the base. All I want to do is get my hair cut. So I go to the base. I go, they're on number 31. I pick a number, and what number do you think I got? 308, no. I got 47. I got to tell you, in all the years I've been to Scott Air Force Base Barbershop, I've never got a number that removed from where they were currently at. So I decide, okay, we'll go into the BX and we'll shop for a little while. And I'll come back, and they'll be at, I don't know, 40, 41, and I'll sit there, and I'll wait for my turn. We come out after shopping, and you know what number they were at? 31. So I said, okay, I'm going to sit here for a few minutes while Olivia and Darlene go get some lunch at the food court. And I sat there for 15 minutes, and you know what number they were on? 31. At this point... I'm doing my Greg Gutfeld angry, you know, thing, and, and so, I, so I'm not going to wait. I go down, and I have lunch with them, and when we, do you remember what number they were on when we left? I think it was 31. 35. Okay, so, so after over an hour, they got to 35, and I'm still 12 away, and I angrily, you know, the little piece of paper, you know, crumpled up the paper and threw it in the trash can on my way out. I'll fix them. this place <laughs> like you can't get gas and you can't get a haircut unless you want to spend all day all right so look paul is saying 
we grind, and I'm being foolish in my, you know, you understand, I'm, 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 I'm embellishing it, you know, in, in the, in the uh, comparison. But Paul is saying, man, we groan in these bodies, man. We want to get out of these bodies. We want to put on our heavenly body. We don't want to have to go through all the machinations of sin here on this earth. We groan, and he wants to be out of that body. And he says that, that we might be clothed with that immortal body, that body that we are eventually going to inherit in heaven. Watch. He goes on in verse number 5. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who hath also given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And so what Paul is literally saying is that when we as believers and Christians die, this body, this mortal body dies, we are immediately in the presence of the Lord. You believe that? The Bible teaches that. How about the thief on the cross? You remember the thief on the cross? He railed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, but then at some point while he is up there with his his, conspir- his co-conspirator and his uh, comrade in criminality, uh, he begin- this particular thief begins to understand that he's in the same condemnation, that he's dying, and that he's in need of a Savior. And so what does he say to Jesus Christ when he realizes who Jesus really is? In Luke chapter 23 and verse number 43, And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now, that's what Jesus said to him. But what what the thief said was, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. There's no intermediate state in the sense of he was going to have to go to purgatory and see whether or not he was going to be admitted into the presence of the Lord. He said, This day. You're going to be with me in paradise. By the way, the word paradise, tie this back to what we talked about earlier. Where's paradise? It's the dwelling place of God. Go back and look at what Paul wrote in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. It's the dwelling place of God. Now, the word paradise there literally means park, garden, heaven, and how about this? Eden. You remember a place called Eden? The Garden of Eden? paradise now when a Christian dies he or she is immediately in the presence of the Lord we've established that right we, we believe that they're in paradise but could I ask you this where's paradise where's paradise now I told you you got to think this morning so bear with me here in Revelation chapter number 2 turn over to Revelation chapter number 2 and verse number 7 In Revelation chapter number 2 and verse number 7, the Lord here is uh, speaking to the church at Ephesus, right? And we've we've talked about the church at Ephesus. We're studying the church at Ephesus, uh, the book of Ephesians on on Wednesday nights. But watch Revelation chapter number 2 and verse number 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, that's important to understand. Because in paradise is what? 
the tree of life. Now, if we could figure out where the tree of life is, we'll have an indication as to where paradise is. And really, paradise, again, is what? It's the dwelling place of God. That's the third heaven. Now, we can tell you where the tree of life is because the scripture reveals it to us. Now, let's go over to Revelation chapter 22. Go over to Revelation chapter 22. What is Paul writing about in Revelation chapter number 22? Well, hold on to that thought. I'll tell you here in a moment. But notice Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, wherever this place is, God's throne is there. The Lamb. We looked at the Lamb last week and we talked about the power of the blood. Jesus Christ, the Lamb, is there. This is the dwelling place of God. This is where God is. Notice verse 2. In the midst of the street of it, and on and of either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, the tree of life is where God is. The tree of life is in paradise. Folks, this is heaven. This is heaven. But stop. Just a moment. Is this heaven? Where the dead in Christ are right now? Let's go further and answer that. So we see that when a Christian dies, he or she is immediately in the presence of the Lord. We, we know that because what we've just established. But secondly, we must make this point. The immediate presence with the Lord is an intermediate state between the final resting or dwelling place of the child of God. Now, when I say an intermediate state, I don't mean an intermediate state where there's a determination that's being made, like the teaching of purgatory, whether or not somebody's going to eventually get to spend eternity in heaven. I don't mean an intermediate state by that. What I mean is this, and I'm going to give you a quote by A.H. Strong, whom we used in his, his systematic theology for our textbook uh, for systematic theology in our Bible Institute. Listen to what Strong writes. In the intermediate state... The soul is without a body. Yet this state is for the righteous a state of conscious joy. Now, let's take a step back. This intermediate state, the soul is without a body. So, those dear loved ones that have gone on from this life in the Lord, We've already established that they are present with the Lord, have we not? Do they have a body? They don't have a body. They don't have a body. And that's important to note for us to grasp that heaven is a real place. Now, as we dig a little bit deeper into this to show you that they don't have a body, turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. You know these verses very, very well. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, beginning in verse number 13, down through verse number 16. 
1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now, what does the word asleep mean? They're dead. Their, their mortal body is dead, right? So Paul says, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. What's he mean? There are people that have loved ones that have passed on and they have not been brought to the reality that heaven is a real place and they think that the grave, that, that, that death ends in the grave and that there's no resurrection of the dead. And you know what? What hope is there in that? They have no hope. They saw, they're never going to see, they never have an opportunity or a chance to see their loved ones again according to their view. They sorrow and they have no hope. Paul says you're not like that concerning those that have died and gone on. Notice verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep or are dead in Jesus will God bring with Him. In other words, when Jesus comes back, those that have died and gone on, they're coming back with Him. Watch. For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So we are not going to prevent those that are dead from ascending at the coming of the Lord. Now watch verse 16. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God... And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Do you know what the dead in Christ are going to get? A body. They're going to get a body. Look at verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Folks, if we're alive when the Lord returns... We are going to, I believe this with all my heart, we are going to be raptured out of this, of this earth. You say, I, that doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't have to make sense to you. You don't have to understand everything. I just explained to you the, the troposphere, the stratosphere, the exosphere, the mesosphere. Do you understand? By the way, there's also something called the ionosphere. You know, I, do you understand all that? You don't need to understand all that. You just need to know that the Bible says, wow, well, there's a heaven. There are three heavens. There, there's a... Uh, first heaven, second heaven, third heaven. You don't need to reason all that out. Do you know that the Bible teaches that Christ is coming again in two phases? The first phase is He's returning in the clouds and he's and, and if we're alive, we are going up. And you know who else is going up? The bodies that are in the grave. And you say, man, that sounds like a bunch of fable and that kind of stuff. Well, then you're not living by faith. Folks, this is, this, this is faith by which we believe these precious truths. So, so the immediate presence with the Lord is an intermediate state where those that have died and gone on to be with the Lord, they're in heaven, but they don't have a body. Now we have to reconcile that. W.E. Best, the old Eastern Texas, East Texas Baptist, wrote this, The eternal residence of the elect will not be altogether spiritual without materiality. In other words, we are going to possess a body in eternal glory in heaven. So, 
again, bear with me as we bring this together. So those saints that have died and gone on to be with the Lord, and we would describe them as being in an intermediate state. They do not have a body. They're going to get a body. They're going to possess a body. They have to get a body. They have to possess a body because of, and listen to this, Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 20, for our conversation is in heaven. And by the way, the word conversation there, it does not mean speech and it does not mean conduct. Here in this place, it's the only time it's used in the New Testament, it means our citizenship. Our citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch, verse 21. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. We are putting off these old mortal bodies and we're going to literally have a body that is going to be fashioned like unto His glorious body. You know what you're not going to have to do in heaven? Work out. Cody says, man, I want to work out. You're not going to want to work out up there. You're not. Man, listen, i got to tell you, I'm tired of working out. I'm tired of Tony Horton and, 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 and Sean T. And, and Emilio Cesar and all these other... I'm tired of it. I'm tired of burpees, okay? In heaven... We're not going to have to say, I don't want to look at the mirror. <laughs> okay, I don't want to see that. Our bodies are going to be perfected. Our body is going to be changed like into the glorious body of Christ. How about this in 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 2? In 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Why are we mentioning these verses? For this reason. Those that have died and gone on to be with the Lord, they don't have this body. But they're going to have that body. And the fact that they don't have that body, but they're going to get that body, that fact shows you this important truth that the present place of heaven is not the permanent place of heaven we will possess bodies in the eternal glory of heaven that is yet future now we're talking about unlocking the truth that heaven is a real place you got to understand the particular uses of the word heaven that there's three heavens we're talking about the third heaven the dwelling place of God that yes to understand that heaven is a real place you have to know that there is a present place of heaven but then thirdly there is a permanent place of heaven as we previously stated just a few moments ago the present place of heaven is not the permanent place of heaven but there will be a permanent place of heaven. In God's prophetic plan, which we refer to as the big big term of eschatology, right? The study of end times. The permanent place of heaven is called the eternal ages, the eternal glory, or how about this? 
the new heaven. The new heaven. When you hear the term the new heaven, it's talking about the permanent place of heaven. We're talking this morning about the fact that heaven is a real place. Jesus said to His disciples, Man, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare that place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you that. He's teaching that heaven is a real place. But you know that place that Jesus described. That's the permanent place of heaven. Now, I want you to think about these precious truths as we continue to unlock and grasp the truth that heaven is a real place, and we're specifically talking about this key, that the permanent place of heaven. I want you to feast upon these realities and these truths. The permanent place of heaven was prophesied. was prophesied. Isaiah the prophet over 700 years before the appearance of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, he wrote his book and he prophesied about many, many things. And he, wrote, he prophesied about the end times. Isaiah is a wonderful book that deals with the millennial reign of Christ and also the permanent place of heaven. Now, Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah 65 and verse number 17. This is a prophecy concerning future times. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. That reality was so important that he, he emphasized it by repeating it in the next chapter. In Isaiah 66 in verse number 22. Isaiah 66 in verse number 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. There's not going to be destruction coming to this new heaven. There's never going to be destruction for the child of God who is with the Lord. And so if we could, if we could think about this, there's a permanent place of heaven. Those saints that have died and gone on, they're in the presence of the Lord right now. They're in an intermediate state. They don't have their bodies. They're going to get those bodies. They're going to be in the same place eternally and forever that you and I are. And that's the new heaven. That permanent place was prophesied. That permanent place is to be preferred. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter number 11, that great chapter dealing with faith and the roll call of faith, the hall of fame of faith, if you will. Notice Hebrews chapter number 11, verse number 14. Actually, let's read verse 13 as well. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. But why? For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire. It is to be preferred. The permanent place of heaven is to be preferred. But now they desire a better country. Watch. 
That is a heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Jesus went to prepare a place. Where's that place? It's the permanent place of heaven. That's the new heaven. Can you imagine that? I want you to think about this past week. And I don't want to be a downer, but I want you to think about your battle with sin. And the battles that we individually lost. No war is won without you know ever losing any battles. And we lost some battles, didn't we? And there were times when we shamed our Lord. But man, this is a place where God is not ashamed to be called our God. He's not ashamed of us. He's prepared a place for us. A city that we might be with Him forever. It's a permanent place. This place is to be preferred. We're not of this earth. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. Can you say that? Do you desire that permanent place? Notice thirdly, that this permanent place that was prophesied of, it is to be preferred, and it is promised. Notice in Peter, turn with me to the book of Peter, 2 Peter chapter number 3. We've got a healthy dose of Bible Scripture this morning. We've turned to a number of passages. It's important. I think now you understand why I said that we needed to cover this all in one message, and and that's why we were going longer this morning. I apologize for that. But notice 2 Peter chapter number 3. Notice verses 1 and 2. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles, of the Lord and Savior. And so uh, Peter is saying, "I I want to stir you up. I want you to remember these precious promises and these precious truths. And then he goes on in in verses 3 through 6, and he talks about how that there are scoffers that do not believe the promise of the new heaven. And then watch in verse number 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. What is he saying? He's saying this. And, I, and I've said this before. You know I've, you know, I've teach, uh, preached and taught this. I believe we ought to be good stewards of the earth. I believe we ought to be good stewards. Don't take your motor oil when you change your oil and pour it in the backyard. Okay, don't, don't put it in a container and put it in your trash. Take it to where it needs to go. We're to be good stewards. But it is sheer pride and delusion to think that we are going to destroy the earth. We're not going to destroy the earth. You know who's going who's gonna, to... not going to destroy the earth. You know who's going to purge the earth? God. And this place will be here until he determines. He says, and Peter writes in verse 7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment, uh, uh, and perdition of ungodly men. This earth is going to be purged. Look at verse 8. But beloved, 
Be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. In other words, don't think that because it hasn't happened yet, that it isn't going to happen. Verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but His long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming day of the Lord, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. Did you catch all that was contained in those verses? We're talking about the permanent place is promised. It's promised. And what's going to happen literally is that this have this earth that we're on right now, and and the atmosphere and all that is contained within that, it's all going to be purged. It's not going to be destroyed, it's going to be dissolved. It's going to be purged. And you know what's going to happen? (laughs) The permanent place is going to be provided. For that, we need to look at Revelation chapter 21. And by the way, uh, lest we think that, that, yeah, you know what we're talking about are things future, that it really doesn't affect my life today. Did you catch what Peter said there? Where he said that in verse number 11, seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, what man of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? In verse 14, he said, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. My contention is that studying these things will not lead us to lead a life that is deleterious and not uh, focused on the Lord, but it'll cause us to be, to be concerned. And to, and to place emphasis on our walk here on this earth. Now, that permanent place is promised. We looked at Peter, but that permanent place is to be provided. And here, we want to look at Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. In Revelation chapter 21, verse number 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Folks, could I just say right now, just to, just to be very clear, the permanent place of heaven is the new heaven on the new earth. It's literally going to be here. And it's not here now, is it? This is not the present place of heaven. But it's going to be the permanent place of heaven. Notice, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. (laughs) that not make you want to shout this morning? All of what we experience here is going away. All the tears, the death, the sorrow, the crying, the pain, 
All of those things are going to be passed away. You know, those things are not to be found in the permanent place of heaven, the new heaven. We're not there now. Those saints that have died and gone on to be with the Lord, they're not at that place now. They're in the presence of the Lord. And yes, we refer to that as heaven. It's the dwelling place of God. But it's an intermediate state. They don't have body. And I realize some of this is hard. It's hard for us to understand. But we don't need to understand it all. The Bible is mysterious in its detail. And we just need to take God at His word. We can unlock the reality and the truth that heaven is a real place. We can do it by looking at the three keys. And using the three keys. The peculiar and particular uses of the word heaven. The present place of heaven. And the permanent place of heaven. Now you know what? It'd be sad if we talked about this place of heaven and that heaven is a real place and you weren't going to be there. How is it that one is in heaven? How is it that those that died are in the presence of the Lord? Well, they're called the what? The dead in Christ. Christ is the only way. Christ is the only path to heaven. He is the only way by which we can dwell eternally in a place called heaven. I encourage you. I exhort you. If you've never repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, let this moment be that time. Come to see that Christ died for sinners and that you and I are unable to pay that debt. Christ came to seek and to save the lost. And you know what we are apart from Christ? We are lost. And the great thing is that Christ said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You want to go to heaven? Come see a man. Come see a man by the name of Christ. Repent of your sins. Throw yourself at the mercy of Christ, and He will save you. And you know what? you'll have citizenship in the permanent place called heaven. Because I'm here to tell you, heaven is a real place. Let's pray.